Hello folks, welcome back to the Supporting Champions podcast. My name's Steve Ingham. Now I'm a performance scientist by trade, having helped many elite athletes and high performance teams reach their peak through the application of scientific principles over the last 25 years. I'm also now the co-founder of Supporting Champions, which applies the many principles of performance we've learnt from sport, from business and education to those hoping to find a better way to create performance. So in these podcasts, we're very much trying to explore the science, the art, the purpose and the origins of high performance. And I'll be discussing these concepts with the people who've achieved at the highest level, those people who've been the driving force in making high performance happen, and for those who've researched and explored aspects of performance in real depth. If you're enjoying these podcasts, then we'd love to hear from you. If you've got any thoughts, questions or ideas, then please send them to inquiries at supportingchampions.co.uk. And if you feel sufficiently motivated, then please do a review on iTunes. And so to this week's episode, and this was an intriguing but really fun interview with a remarkable chap called Tom Boother. Now, Tom ran, yes, ran from Land's End to John O'Groats. So that's from the bottom left to the top right of the UK, the total distance of 862 miles. And the interesting thing about Tom is that he says he's no athlete, which makes his achievements perhaps even more remarkable. When I met with Tom about a year ago, I was intrigued to find out why and how a non-athlete would take on such an amazing challenge. So in this discussion, we hear about how choosing the wrong studies for him led to him searching for something else in his life. We hear about how he got more and more serious, professional and ambitious about his running. We talk about how he hatched the plan to run up the UK the trials and tribulations, the hardships he encountered, but also the joys of receiving spontaneous and overwhelming support for the causes he was running for. And we hear how he's made sense of what he put his mind and body through. And he uses seven principles to help other people start and finish. Fantastic. Uh, Tom Boother, thank you so much for joining Supporting Champions podcast. Uh, delighted you. to have you on me, Yeah, brilliant to have you on. Now, um, first up, the, the, the first thing is, tombooter.co.uk that just says the very long run that's just massively understating what you've what you've achieved is that just you being ironic well it was a very long run and i thought (laughs) i thought might as well just put what it is on the can and uh and and play it from there yeah okay so a very long run uh to me is anything above 15 kilometers on for most people it would be in that sort of territory um so I'm really keen to to get into how, why on earth uh, you you cracked this this Lands End to John O'Groats run. That's the that's the bit because most people have gone up to Lands End John O'Groats driving or or cycling, whatever. But uh, before we do that, I'm really keen to get into just finding a little bit about you. So could you just give us a bit of a background to you and where you're from, your, what, what you got into before uh, actually running? Absolutely. I um, I'm from Ipswich, uh, so it's nice and flat, uh, good for running. Uh, if you don't need to go too far uphill, um, <laughs> I, um, I I think I had a very standard childhood. So I uh, I went through school. I uh, did a degree in politics at the University of Leicester, um, and I always had this fascination in motor racing. Um, and I guess that's because uh, when I was younger, I watched a lot on TV and I used my student loan to take myself off to the uh, intensive drive course at Silverstone uh, in the summer holiday of my second year. Um, and I, I paid for my university by working through all my holidays uh, and took myself off to Silverstone and got my, my racing license. And I asked them if I was any good. And they said it's almost impossible in motorsport to know who's going to be a champion and who's not at an early stage. But you seem to have enough talent to keep going. Um, So I spent two years fundraising to be a racing driver. And I think that probably helped in the Land's End John O'Groats later on. Yeah. Because I very quickly realized what you need is a good team. Uh, I also found motor. (laughs) Yeah. I also found out that you need colossal amounts of money. Right. And uh, I, I still tell my dad that he let me down by not being super rich. Yeah, um, and I, out, isn't 
Yeah, I I ran out of money rather than running out of talent. But I suspect my <laughs> my talent wouldn't have gone that much further. So it might have been a blessing in disguise. Well, as, a, as a physiologist, I'm often I'm often quipping that uh, for a lot of events, you have to choose your parents very carefully. Referring, of course, to the genetic aspects of it, your lung size or slow twitch fibres or capillaries and so on. But actually choosing your parents very carefully for motorsport is also true, isn't it? <laughs> and I guess with a lot of um, a lot of athletes, parents put a lot of money yeah. in, even if it doesn't look like the most expensive sports. Just getting around the country costs money. Yeah. Um, so um, so I, I spent two years doing that. Um, I didn't um, get onto a podium. Um, but I, I, I got an interest in sports law. So I thought I've got a degree in politics. I will convert to, to law. Hmm. Um, and I think that probably was the biggest mistake of my life. And within, a, <laughs> <laughs> within about six months of committing the best part of 20,000 pounds to, to becoming a lawyer, I realized that it was probably the worst outcome for someone who's dyslexic to be a lawyer. Um, <laughs> so so I, um, I was studying for the graduate diploma in law, which if you've done a degree is the seven uh, key uh, modules that you need to pass that are within a law degree. But they throw them all at you in one year. Um, and it culminates in seven exams over 10 days that are just three hours each and everyone i know who's done it have said it is just about the worst year of their life um so i i was studying for the graduate diploma in law and it got to february and i thought there must be more to life than this um and a friend of mine who is a pe teacher had just come back from chamonix um, and he had done half the Ultra Trail Tour de Mont Blanc, which is a 103-mile run around Mont Blanc. Um, at the time, there was 9,000 vertical meters up and 9,000 vertical meters down. Yeah. Um, bumpy. Um, and uh, he said he'd done half. That was his whole objective to see whether it was possible. And he said to me he was going back the next year. Uh, and in my moment of desperation at law, I thought, that can't be that hard. <laughs> so, 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 so when you when you thought that, what what were you doing in terms of exercise? So, um, I had done a half marathon. Okay, so you were you were doing good long runs, but um... yeah, but I mean, I run at eight to ten minute mile pace on a quick run. So I am no athlete, um, and. Um, I just said to David, that sounds quite interesting. Now, I think I was really lucky, Steve, because ultra running has really exploded in the last 15 years. Yeah. And it was 2005. And I think it was still at its embryonic stages, especially in the UK, possibly Europe. And the Ultra Trail Tour de Mont Blanc was in its third year. Um, if you enter it now, they have qualifying events yeah. that you need to do. Um, I literally just went on the website in the middle of February with my credit card and uh, thought, let's do it. Um, and I entered. Um, I did some training um, and I entered a 30 mile run before I did the first attempt at the Arch Trail Tour de Mont Blanc. Um, and I got really bad cramp at mile 25. And that should have been a real clue to say this isn't for me. Um, but I, I plodded on down the, down the South Downs and finished that race. Yeah. South um, Downs, so that would have, that would have been pretty hilly. That was quite hilly as well. And that's quite an interesting event because it was a point to point. Okay. And as I say, this running at the time, the long distance ultra running was so, um, it was such a community sport. I think it's unfair to say it was, um, it was amateurish, but it was very much a community feel. So it started from a, a community centre yeah. and you literally ran 15 miles to a tap. And at this tap, you filled up your water bottle and ran back. And they had one checkpoint at seven and a half miles that did you on the way there. And on the okay. way back is quarter distance and three quarter distance. Mm. Um, and I think that was really a nice time to be involved because you got to know everyone doing the run. 
Um, what year was this? What sort of time? 2005. Yeah, okay. Um, so I turned up at Chamonix. Um, I did not realise that the Oscar Tour de Mont Blanc is probably one of the top races in the world for ultra mm. running. Mm. Um, and it, you know, it goes hand in hand with things like the Western States Hundred um, and yeah. Bad Waters as big events. Um, and I just turned up as a total novice, having run thirty miles before. Um, which was possibly a mistake. Uh, we we got ourselves disqualified at half distance. Um, so I did it with with my friend David, um, and and they they have this idea that you have to be at certain times at certain points, and they bring a barrier down. Um, okay. And it was always our intention just to literally crawl round in time. Um, but we got to the halfway uh, checkpoint. Um, which was a hot food checkpoint at quarter past 12. Um, and we thought that being in it meant that you um, you were safe. The barrier come down and you were in the checkpoint. Right. Uh, and we had 45 minutes in hand. And at three minutes to, to one o'clock, this rather large Italian man said in Italian, if you want to be out of here, you need to be out of here in three minutes. Right. There was a massive scrum for the door, and I would have thought 50 to 80 people were on the wrong side of the door who oh, were all God. in the checkpoint at the right, right. time. Um, and um, it, <laughs> it meant that uh, we were disqualified at the point. Um, so being, being a law student, I wrote a really snotty letter to the organiser. <laughs> so it was a really bad idea, but this, it's, on this particular instance, it was very useful. It was very useful, and I was expecting to get absolutely nothing back. And about six or eight weeks after that, I got a parcel through the post. And um, they they had on this parcel um, a letter which said, we're so sorry for what happened. There should have been some discretion uh, by the marshal, and you should have been allowed to go. Um, so we apologise for that. Um, here's a gift for getting halfway. Mm. And his half price entry to next year and that was just too much of a um a temptation to go back um and it's funny how these things work out because i think if i had got out of the door my fitness levels may have got me about 15 or 20 miles further down the road yeah um and that may have been the end of my my ultra running career um but i i managed to uh take the half price for the next year um and and we finished it off right. um so so it was a great okay. um great achievement um i i crossed the line and i i blistered my feet really badly um and i i remember being taken to the hospital with a police escort to have the skin taken off my feet because the podiatrist said I've done all I can do. You now need a doctor to finish these off. Oh. Um, <laughs> so it wasn't quite the um, the moment of glory I was expecting. No, but you. So, so can I just ask you then? You went. Um, you got disqualified. Uh, you then went back the following year, but then you had a year's preparation rather than just a thirty mile run. But you almost had like a a greater understanding of what it is, what it looks like, what it feels like, and you had a bit of a excuse the pun a longer run at it. Yeah, absolutely. It was actually a two-year period. I, I said I went back. I I um, fell over the next year and tore some ankle ligaments. Okay. So it became a two-year project. Right. Um. And and it is a it's an interesting thing because coming from the complete amateur, you learn so many small things that become one big data mass right. that you take forwards. And and I finished it in two thousand and seven. <clears throat> But I would say my my running became a huge amount more professional in 2011, 2012. Um, I, I'd had a go at the Grand Union Canal Race, which is a simple concept. You run from Gas Street Basin, Birmingham to Little Venice in London. Um, and it's 145 miles and you have 45 hours to do it in. Um, and the original race director wanted to make it a race. So he says, if you stop for more than 40 minutes at any one time, you have deemed to retard yourself. Um, so I'd had a couple of goes at this race. Yeah. 
Um, and on paper, they're very similar. So the Ultra Trail Tour de Mont Blanc, you have 46 hours to go around and 100 miles. Um, but with the Grand Union, you have the extra distance, but you don't have the altitude the, the uh, gain and loss. Gradient, yeah, okay. Absolutely. Um, but what I found with the Grand Union Canal race is it was much more of a mental challenge. Um, and I think that's because they start you at six o'clock on the Birmingham. They start you in Birmingham. <laughs> 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 they start you in Birmingham at six o'clock. And oh, the halfway checkpoint. on the back foot straight from the off yeah. <laughs> to run through Watford. Yeah, yeah. Keep, yeah go. <laughs> <laughs> you get to um, you get to Milton Keynes at 72 miles. The checkpoint's just before Milton Keynes, and that's yeah. the halfway point. And it's, the speed I go, you're getting there between eight and nine o'clock at night. So you've literally run 72 miles all day. Yeah. And then the night section starts. And the times I failed, I failed at night because I think the mind starts to wander and you have a long time to think about what's wrong with you when you're on your own at night by a canal running around, running around. <laughs> <laughs> about, um, at about 12 to 14 minute mile pace. Yeah. Um, so I I'd, I'd failed a couple of times and I I asked two people to help me. One of them uh, is a guy called Hank who'd come second or third one year. Um, so he's a, a much better athlete than I am. Um, and the other was a guy called Dave Williams who runs a company called Sports Med East in Ipswich. Um, and they're a firm of physios and doctors and they specialise in sports medicine. And Dave was head physio at Ipswich Town Football Club. So what he doesn't know about the waist down really isn't worth knowing yeah. um, so i would see dave once a month um on the build-up to the 2012 grand union canal race and i'd speak to hank round about once every two weeks to once a month just going through the training uh and what's happening um and i guess this is one of the points that changed me quite dramatically in running and that is we made decisions on what we were going to do ahead of the event yes. so rather than planning on the or, or doing on the on the hoof in effect all the big decisions were made before i went and ran it in 2012 yeah, okay um and one of the big decisions was that um for the middle to end uh of the pack runners on the grand union canal races do you run the whole way or do you um have a strategy of running for instance, for three quarters of an hour and walking for 15 minutes? Okay. Uh, or should you maybe walk all night to recover and then run come the morning? Um, and Hank and I came up with the uh, idea that I was just going to run it um, because it gets rid of any questions. Right, okay. Um, and I ran the whole of the event through the day and through the night. And I think I probably walked for about 15 miles from Watford into London because by then I was getting a bit tired. Um, but but I think that was a, a quite a big change in in the way I did things in two ways. One, I had the beginning of a team of people who yeah. were as good at what they did as I could afford and get. Um, and the second part was those decisions were made before the event. So weren't we weren't having conversations during yeah okay so you're developing the strategy so can i can i just ask you before we get into lands and john O'Groats, um so the uh when did you realize this was for me um obviously you're talking about getting into uh, 30 mile runs or uh, half marathons uh, 103 miles around the around the alps what what was um what was the point you thought i like doing this this is going to be my thing I um I think there's a slight way of life to it. And by that is there are some pretty unpleasant things about running very long distances. Um from bashing up your fleet feet to having um a lack of sleep uh throughout an event. Yeah. Um but the the way of life of 
this is something I'm training for and I've got a big goal and it everything works around that I think is something that I began to find quite appealing okay. um, early on in the on the in the ultra trail tour de Mont Blanc. Um, the the actual races I always find are a little bit like an exam, in the sense that all of the all of the revision, all the prep is done on the build up, and you can just go and enjoy the day. Hmm. Um, even if there's bits of it that aren't that enjoyable, um, you still get your way through them. And there is a slight feeling of you are working towards an event. Um, and I think it was that element that, um, I really kind of enjoyed, um, rather than saying, I really like hurting myself, (laughs) which some people, (laughs) which some people might say. Um, and, and actually I've, I've found regularly that the, the end of the journey isn't the satisfying part of it. Mm. Um, it's the training and getting everything right on that build up. Um, and I mean by that the logistics to it as well as the physical side. Yeah, okay. um, getting your head in the right place to do it. Mm. Um, and and I have this I have this feeling that actually anyone could do it if they wanted to go and do it. Yeah. Um, and, and that makes it quite satisfying on its own because anyone could do it. It's, it's very different from the motor racing that the motor racing had this barrier to entry, which was very expensive, but with ultra running, the barrier to entry is so low, anyone could go and do it. Um, so I find that quite an interesting part. That's, that's interesting. So so it's not necessarily the goal per se. It doesn't necessarily matter whether you're running through uh, along the Grand Union Canal or in, in the Alps or up and down the country. It's the it's the journey. It's the process. It's the it's the fascination about trying to trying to work it out and plan it and strategize. Absolutely. Mm. And I think I think there's a certain breed of people who are attracted to it, and you get to know other people. Um, and you realise there are some other strange people just like me. <laughs> so there's a camaraderie, is it? There is a camaraderie. I found my tribe. I found yeah. all the people that are nutters like me. Um, okay, so so I can now sense the sort of build-up that you've gone from half marathon to seeing your friend to getting disqualified, but going back, going again, and then pursuing some of these um, events. Um, at, at what point did you go, right, I'm going to do, I'm going to do the country. I'm going to do the UK. <laughs> I'd, um, I'd done the Ultra Tour de Mont Blanc three times. I'd, um, uh, I'd done the Grand Union twice and I'd done some other races in that time. Um, and I think it was around spring stroke summer of 2014 that I began to think, wouldn't it be interesting to run Land's End John of Greats? Um, can you remember the moment? Can you can you remember when you thought that's what I fancy doing? It had been something that I think I had discussed with several people, and it became its own beast. Um, but there was definitely a moment in April or May two thousand and fourteen that I said, I'm going to do Land's End John O'Groats. Okay. And I told Dave Williams at Sports Med East, I'm going to do it. And he introduced me to the Human Performance Unit at the University of Essex. Yeah. Um, and I think the the email header did not start us off on a great footing mm-hmm. because uh, he said, a nutter in need. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, I like and I said... Guy. Yeah, I said to Dave that I wanted to run Lands End John O'Groats, and he said, you need some help. Um, that's not just um, physiotherapy. Yeah. Um, and he introduced me to Chris. And it was a meeting, as I'd say, I'd say probably March, April 2014. And I remember going, I went with my dad. Um, and And Chris had just had an unfortunate situation that they'd tried to help another endurance athlete who had stopped very early on a very big event. Um, and I think he was of the opinion there's another nutter just turning up. 
Um, and it was quite a cold start to this meeting. About the first right. 10 or 15 minutes was, you know, do you think you've got any hope? Um, and it turned out to be, I think we got there about 10. We left about 1, 1.30 in the afternoon. Um, and it became a lot more positive as the meeting went on. And just as we left, Chris said, do you know what? With everything we've discussed, I think you've got a little bit of a chance of doing this. Um, so, so that was the beginnings of it. Um, and one of the re, um, one of the things that I knew that I absolutely needed in place was a strong team throughout. And my mum and dad have always crewed me. Um, so in the, in the Alps, they've come out for a holiday and seen me at specific points, driven me home broken. Um, but with, um, with, um, Grand Union Canal Race, um, around 60 of the 100 starters have to provide their own crew. And my parents have always crewed me on that race. They've okay. got to know me quite well. Um, and they've got to know the logistics and difficulty of trying to find a runner at certain places and make sure you give them what they need. Okay. Um, so it was clear to me from the start that if this was going to happen, I would need them on board. Um, and they'd just retired and they went to Australia and New Zealand for six months in 2015. So that meant straight away it was going to be a 2016 project and not a 2015. Um, and and Chris was really pleased about that because one of the things Chris said was um, I had a bit of a dream to do it within about five months to six months of meeting him. And he said, look, you need at least a year with okay. us yeah, right. to make this possible um and it turned out to almost being two years with his supervision of training and adaption to make it happen um okay. that was a that was a a positive thing that happened by chance okay um that was the beginning of the team that chris got involved dave williams got involved and my parents said yeah we'll support you for this crazy venture right so so now point me in the direction of the, the start line. Uh, you went up the country. Um, yeah. What, what was the date and how did you choose the, the, the date? Yeah, I started on the 18th of April uh, 2016. Um, I wanted a time of the year that was not going to be too hot. Yeah. Um, and I thought April is you know you either go for april or the autumn spring or autumn so i went for the spring option um i um went from south to north because you should have a prevailing wind with you yeah yeah um and on top of that cornwall and devon are short sharp hills um when you get to scotland they are much more gradual um, and I thought I would get rid of those short, sharp hills whilst I've got fresh legs. Yeah. Okay. Uh, rather than having the pain of them to finish with. Yeah. Uh, right. So, <laughs> so that combination. That's interesting because having having cycled it, and uh, I I curse Cornwall and well, I actually <laughs> cursed all of it, but uh, and I'm interested to to know how you how you managed your mind over the time, but I curse Cornwall and Devon because. I, it battered me, and so day yeah. day three, can't yeah. believe it, leaving Bath and into Wales, I was spent. Um, <laughs> and my other big bugbear is how big Scotland is, uh, which which I blame BBC Weather for because they make it look so much smaller than it actually is. It's um, really funny you should say that because you know they about ten years ago they changed the map, didn't they? Yeah, and they've just changed it back, so it's it's flat. Yeah, um, and my dad did jokingly say. If they'd changed it back four years ago, you wouldn't have run it. No. Oh, that's, it. That is, that is. I, we got into Scotland. I thought, great, we got, we're nearly there. You know, they've, they've broken it up into small little bite-sized chunks, and then thinking, how bloody big is Scotland? But <laughs> <laughs> well, it's two hundred and seventy miles <clears throat> from Edinburgh to John O'Groats, yeah. um, and it's around a hundred miles from the border to edinburgh so yeah 370 miles give or take um is a long way when you've already run 500 odd miles to get to edinburgh to get to the borders 
So give us some stats then. So uh, how many days did it, how long did it take you? Did you register it in days and hours? What was the, what were the stats? Give us that. Yes. So, so um, I set myself a target of 14 days. Um, and like being a failed lawyer, I'm a failed runner because it took me 15 days, 18 hours and 18 minutes. 18, 18 hours and 18 minutes. Yeah, fifteen days, eighteen hours, and eighteen got, got minutes. Some seconds there for us, just just so that we. No, no sorry, sorry. We just rounded it up there. <laughs> Come on, you lean for the line. Come on, we yeah. want to know what the tenths, tenths of a second are there. Um, um, and um, I therefore average fifty-four miles a day, which is um, what eighty eighty-five kilometers a day. Respect uh, and and what was so giving you the total distance? Do the maths for is the total Sorry. distance because the, the route the route is interesting. I'd like to ask you which way you went. Yeah, so it was um, eight hundred and sixty-two miles, um, and in kilometres we're looking about fourteen hundred kilometres. Yeah, and so fifty-four miles, eighty-five k per day. So what what sort of average pace have you got an idea of the how fast you ran it? Yeah, so the first. Four days, I was running at around about eleven to twelve minute mile pace, um, which was comfortable. Yeah. Um, I started to blister my feet on day two. They got a lot worse on day three, and I was in real trouble when I got to Bristol on day four. Yeah. Why do you, um, Why do you think that is? Why did you? Because th- you obviously did some training for it. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so don't tell I, me you got some new shoes the day before. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I um, on the build up, I'd done um, I'd done some mini events. Yeah. And I made these events up myself because everything I'd done before were single stage races, and that's quite different to trying to run fourteen days from Land's End to John O'Groats. Um, so I spent. In October, three days running 30 miles a day. Uh, I built it up in November uh, 15 to three do- days running 50 mi- uh, 40 miles a day. Yeah. Uh, December, you see where this is going, mm. three days of 50 miles a day. Uh, January, I did. I planned to do three days of 60 miles a day, um, but I had an all-day meeting the day before I started. How annoying. Yeah, <laughs> that's just scheduled timetabling annoyance. That is absolutely. And I just i i had some breakfast that morning, and the next thing I ate was at seven o'clock the night before I ran, which isn't great preparation when you want to run sixty miles the next day. Yeah. Um, and I got my nutrition wrong, so I had a really bad day on the first day, and then I began to develop a little bit of a problem on the third day with my Achilles. So I did two days of 60 and one ten, um and it was actually really good to fail on one of those yeah. built events because we went into the detail of what went wrong compared with all the ones before which had gone swimmingly well yeah. and it actually pointed more out than if we just finished them off and done 60 60 60 yeah, okay. um, and then in the february i put five days together so i did three days of 50 and two days of 60 um, and I said it quite blasely to a couple of people, and one of them said, "You do realise that's the equivalent of running from Ipswich to Morecambe Bay in five days." And it's that when you kind of start to think this is quite big distances. Okay, and, and it's possible. And it's possible. Um, but it was during that time I just began to develop a little blister on one of my feet, but I didn't really understand the significance of how that could magnitude over a longer period of time. Okay. Um, and I don't think it completely recovered because I did that in the February. I then did the, the run middle of April and I don't think that had fully recovered before I started. Yeah. And the problem is you get one blister and your gait changes yeah, okay. and you start to get other blisters. So how did you, how do you cope with that then? Day three, it started to become a problem. What, what was your plan of action? How did you manage it? Yeah. So, um, uh, I had a podiatrist who helped me a bit in Ipswich um, beforehand. So the team got in touch with him, um, which was a limited amount he could do uh, from there. Mm. Um, I got to Bristol on day three. I'd done 37 miles that day and I was totally spent. Um, I really don't think I had another 10 to 20 miles in me 
if we hadn't had a real bit of luck. And that was I crossed the Clifton suspension bridge, went around the corner. My team were there um, and they were short of water. So they knocked on the door of this office and four members of the staff came out. Uh, and I um, I had a van that was sponsored to me uh, come with us. And they said, Tom, this is brilliant. What you're doing, you're running from Land's End to John O'Groats. It's the Queen's birthday. To celebrate, we've got some cake. Would you like some? Uh, so I turned down the cake. They offered me sandwiches. They offered me uh, tea, coffee, squash. And I said, what I really, really need and what I'd like is a podiatrist. <laughs> the first person in the history of the human race to say, I don't want cake. I want a podiatrist. Yeah. <laughs> that sentence had never been constructed before. Yeah. Love that. And uh, mm. they said, um, that's no problem at all. There's a great podiatrist in Clifton Village. Um, so they booked me up an appointment. Within 10 minutes, I was standing in his waiting room. Brilliant. He said, I'm just treating someone. Can you wait 10 minutes? And a couple of his patients donated money to my charities. Um he then, wow. Irian, asked me to walk into his room. And when I got to his chair, he said, um, you're looking a bit uncomfortable, Tom. Could I, could I take your shoes and socks off to, seeing, to see how, uh, what everything's doing and how it's hanging together? And he took off each shoe, took off each sock, and he rolled them down really carefully. And he saw a blister and he goes, oh, shit. <laughs> and he saw another four. Um, and, um, at that moment I thought this isn't that great. Um, he said, um, but it's not a problem, Tom, I'm going to lacerate them. Uh, we're going to let them drain. Um, you are going to not do any more running today. Rest them, drain them out completely. Um, luckily my mum is also a nurse. So he, he showed her how to dress them for the rest of the run. Um, and he said to me, how good are you with pain? Because the great thing about blisters is they are transient. They will go. Yeah. Um, you just need to get yourself through the next three days. Um, and the next day I ran 60 miles. So That is brilliant. I love that. <laughs> I, love the, I love the serendipity of it, but also the, the fact that you had to wait 10 minutes and, and you also got a donation from Great Ormond Street Hospital at the same time. Isn't that brilliant? Absolutely. And uh, he was a super nice guy. And when I left, he said... Um, that's my donation to your run, Tom. So he, he did it all free of charge. Yeah. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's brilliant. So, Tom, I'm, I'm keen to ask any other uh, kind of issues and problems. I can't imagine it was get your, get your blisters sorted and then basically sprint finish from Bristol to, to John O'Groats. What else, what else? How did it go? So um, the biggest problems after that was the middle weekend – I tore my right hamstring, which wasn't the best situation either. It just became really, really tight okay. over a period of about two hours. Um, and uh, Dave sent um, or let Charlotte come. Charlotte um, is a sports therapist who works with Dave. Uh, and she came for the second week. Um, and she could feel the scar tissue in it as soon as she touched it. Um, and she she kind of created a a um, a plan, and that was she was going to massage it first thing in the morning, laughing at night, which was already in the plan. And then she massaged me every time I stopped. So I stopped every ten miles for yeah. drink and to refill up my bag. Um, and through the day, the we created two long stops and two short stops. So mile 10 would be a quick pit stop. Uh, mile 20 would be a longer rub down. I would grease up my feet. Um, mile 30 would be a much shorter shot stop. Mile 40 would be one of the longer ones, etc. Um, and she massaged at every stop, which before she was being a little bit more careful, but now she kind of just focused on that hamstring. Right. Um, and she reduced the scar tissue um, from, uh, uh, where were we? We were um, just by Birmingham when it really flared up. Um, and so it's just south of Manchester. 
uh, when it started to flare up. Um, and she reduced the scar tissue. She could feel around about four centimetres when she started. And when she left me in Inverness, it was down to the size of a garden pea. Um, Good and Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, it was quite painful, those massages. Mm. Um, uh, and she looks quite a delicate person. But she can certainly get her fingers in quite deep. Yeah, physios um, are uh, deceptive, aren't they? They're, <laughs> we, we often have to talk about being quite sadistic. In <laughs> anyone, <laughs> anyone through a treadmill test or uh, a physios, anyone's touched their ITB, they know what what that's all about. Absolutely. Uh, and I said to her, look, it needs to be done. Yeah. Do what you need to do, because there was no point wasting a week of running from Land's End to Manchester mm. because the hamstring fails. Yeah. Um, and then the other real problem I had is ran from south to north because of that prevailing winds. Um, I got to I got to Hereford, turned due north. And yeah. at the time, I didn't quite know my geography of the country. I thought if you go, <laughs> I thought if you go due north, you would get to Glasgow because the train takes you up the west coast doesn't it you didn't run on the train line i presume no i just avoided that (laughs) (laughs) i took the the a6 the whole way up (laughs) and um and i was greeted to a headwind and i had a headwind for six consecutive days which isn't as difficult as when you cycled it you know being on a bike you'd prefer to have a tailwind than a headwind a lot more than running but it does grind you down yeah i bet after after a couple of miles you're wishing you had that tailwind Mm. um and the only day i got a really good tailwind was the last day um and the last day we left far too much to do i ran 68 miles um and it would have been nice to have had a short final day so were you were you um were you adjusting the distances that you were doing based on how you felt or stops or or did you plan to stop in a certain hotel uh, along the way for example well, we lost the time in Bristol because the podiatrist said don't run anymore. Um, and then we just managed to lose a bit of time from, in effect, Manchester through to Edinburgh every day. Yeah. So um, uh, what we did is a car would um, would come with me and we had a, a mobile home that stopped at pit stops every 10 miles. Um, but, um, the car would pick me up at the end of each day and we would go and sleep somewhere, uh, mainly travel lodges on routes. Um, but we just began to lose a little bit of time in hindsight. I think I'd have quite liked to have just run a bit later each day. Um, but there is a balance of, you do need to be able to get up the next day and run another 55 to 60 miles mm. so um you kind of have to take your team's advice a little bit at the time of doing it as well okay so you were able to kind of park some of the decision making for yourself rather than have to worry about it yourself you've got you've got other people supporting you to to help those decisions yeah absolutely so i had my mum and dad come uh, charlotte came and then we had um kelly who was part of the human performance unit at the university of essex right came for the four days and then chris at uh, the human performance unit backed it up from essex okay how it how it worked and charlotte phoned into dave a few times at sports Med east just to make sure that yeah. things were moving in the right way for instance one of the kind of problems we had is i um i wore through my shoes by the time we'd got to the borders um and i had a spare pair but dave was very keen that I just kept using the shoes I have yeah, okay. Uh, so that I didn't change my gait um, in a new pair of shoes and upset the balance that we had in place. Mm. So there were questions that Kelly and uh, Charlotte needed to sort of get more appropriate senior advice from. So um, how did you manage? How was the head? You know, how did you get through this? Because we've talked about blisters and and fueling and, um, and, and these sorts of things. They're quite physical things but how was the how was the mind absolutely um the mind is an interesting thing isn't it because (laughs) yeah (laughs) i can say that as a physiologist because i appreciate it's all up north yeah there there was every race i've done and every idea i've come up with 
I've always had this feeling that it's just about possible. Um, and I don't quite know how I've got that certainty that it is just about possible when I say doing a half marathon and then you can do a run around Mont Blanc. Um, but the Grand Union is 145 miles. Land's End, John O'Gretz turned out to be 862. It's only timesing it by so many. Okay. Um, timesing it by six. You should get there. Um, and um, I had a belief that it was just about possible. Um, and because of that, on the start line, it was it was daunting, but it wasn't it wasn't impossible. Um, the difficulties on the head point of view is, as you know, through cycling it, I think it was something like 75 miles to get out of Cornwall. And you've literally been running for a day and a bit and you see the sign for Devon and you think if every county is like this, (laughs) (laughs) there's a long way to go. But one of the things I did do is at the University of Essex, they had me see their sports psychologist. Yeah. Okay. Um, And we had some quite uncomfortable conversations, as I think most people do with psychologists. Um, And he posed a few questions. One of his big problems with it was he didn't like the fact that I wasn't doing it for the record. Um, And my target was 14 days. Um, The record's nine days, two hours, um, which is well out of my ability. Um, And I said, you know, I'm happy with that. But he felt that if you're running for a record, it's actually easier to motivate yourself. Mm, That's interesting. How did you respond to that? I I took it on board and I ignored him. Um, (laughs) um, But he had some brilliant advice as well as, you know, having these problems. He said from a psychological point of view, he's helped some people... um, he helped some people row the Atlantic and he said that it's roundabout. If you hit the emergency button in the wrong part of the Atlantic to get saved can take up to three days. So if you're going through a real rough spell, he said, you know, you might as well have some food and go to sleep for a couple of hours and wake up and you've got away from those, that position of this is really hard. I want to give up to the sun's out again. I'll start rowing. Um, And he said one of his real concerns with this was that I had a support car that I would see every 10 miles. And when it got a bit too difficult, there was an opportunity to say, you know what, we could be back in Ipswich in four hours. And did that match up to how it was on the on the day? Um, There was only there was only two times that I really, really thought about quitting. Um, I didn't actually think about quitting in Bristol. Um, and that could be because we had quite a difficult problem. Okay. You've got to solve it. Yeah. Um, I thought about quitting on the Saturday, two days after. Um, and I was in Shrewsbury running along the A66, I think it was. And um, it was just really hard work into a wind. My feet were hurting. And it felt like we were going backwards. And I walked for about 50 meters. Um, And then I had this realization that if I walk for much longer, this day is just going to take a lot longer. So I thought, well, I might as well start running again to make this a quicker day. Um, (laughs) So um, so that was quite a difficult moment. And the other difficult moment on a psychological point of view was crossing the border into into Scotland. and I had a chat with Murray afterwards because Murray had predicted that the borders stroke Edinburgh would be a difficult place for me. Okay. Um, and I asked him if he had preset it or pre-framed it so that having some strategies to get back going. Yeah. If you pre-framed a bad place, then you know what's happening. And he did say that that wasn't the plan. He just thought that would be a really difficult place when you realize you've got a long way to go. And you've already run a long way. Um, So some of the things that we did, um, Murray was really keen for me to work out what it was all about. Um, And I realized by going through an exercise that 
the whole of the activity from the word go was just really exciting to me. It might mean nothing to anyone else, but it was really exciting to me. Mm. Um, and I, I still get goosebumps if I think back to that day of I came up with this idea and I kind of started to make it public yeah. and you commit to it. Oh, right. Okay. Um, social and, aspect, social pressure aspect to it. Yeah. And when you've committed, you then think, golly, I've got to actually go and do this now. Mm. Um, and I find that combination of, of excitement and how the heck is this doable? an interesting combination of tastes uh, to make work. Okay, so uh, there's an excitement there about, I, I've chosen to do this, I've designed this, um, I get the privilege and honour to be able to do this um, yeah. and actually living it. What, what, tell, tell us any more, any other surprises almost, any on, on the positive side of, of actually going through the experience, what was it, what was it like in that sense? Were any positives that you, you took out rather than just the blisters and the pain and the headwind? <laughs> Um, yeah, support it. People support you way more than you think they will. Complete strangers find out what you're doing and are totally blown away by it. Um, and as well as Great Ormond Street, I raised money for each East Anglian Children's Hospices um, because they're a local charity and they need everything they can get. Mm. And um, we, um, they had a party for me afterwards. Um, and one of the things Gemma, their fundraiser, said was that it created a real buzz in the hospice. And she said that was more valuable than the money created. And one of the children wrote me a card. Mm. Um, and it's funny how you can do something that has an impact on people you're never going to meet again or have met to that point. Um, so that was a really nice thing that so many people afterwards said they're engaged with it. I had a tracker um, and and several people said to me that it really destroyed their work productivity for the two weeks because they would literally go on this tracker about four times an hour to see where <laughs> I was <laughs> on route. Um, I was surprised how many people help you if you try and do something big yeah. um and that's the whole way so i said i had a camper van um a company lent me a camper van i literally walked into their offices in ipswich and said can i borrow a camper? Oh, sorry i said can i can i let um can i lease a camper van off you for for two weeks i'm running the jetland and john O'Groats. and the guy said we only sell them and i walked out and he said just before i left the door he said but we do have some demos and they lent me a demo for oh. the whole event. Um, so and and that went throughout. So it was amazing how many people will help you if you're willing to stick out there yeah. and do something that's outside of your ability to a degree. So so you 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 made it up Scotland, and so you, what date did you cross the finish line? Yeah, so I, as I said, I lost a day and three quarters. So I crossed the finish line at, um, on the, well, it was technically the third. It was 25 minutes past midnight on the 3rd of, um, on the 3rd of May, yeah. 2016. And it was, it was really bizarre, Steve, because there was no one there apart from uh, my mum, dad, <laughs> Kelly. Yeah. Charlotte had had to fly home because she was looking after a football team yeah. who had got to a cup final. So she flew home from Inverness. And then my my parents have got this family friend who emigrated to France and he's kind of become a surrogate uncle. And he drove up from the south of France saying, I'll never miss this. So there was Chris, my parents and Kelly and a bottle of champagne. Um, and... <laughs> And it was 25 minutes past midnight. It was kind of beginning to rain. Right. It was kind of slumped against the post, which is left. <laughs> and we thought, well, we need to get to the campsite. So we got to the campsite. I, um, I wanted to have a shower. And my memory of the evening was going to the shower block by now about quarter to one. And it had run out of hot water. Oh. So I finished off my... Insult on injury. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the feet were still quite tender 
and the 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 uh, shower mat was so cold that it was hurting my my rather bashed up feet. Oh. So that that's the that's the um the kind of excitement and and the glamour of long distance running. Yeah, I've got I've got goosebumps when you're talking about doing something positive for someone you've never met, and, and then I've got uh, shots of adrenaline from my feet empathising <laughs> with your with your cold shower mat. Let's let's zoom this out now, because I know that you've made you've you've made some attempts to to make sense of all of this. You've you've uh, summarised this into to seven core observations about getting stuff done. Can you take us through those? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I became a speaker and trainer having done the um, Grand Union Canal race for the second time. Um, and my whole premise is that I am no athlete and at my best I finish in the top third and at my worst I will cross over a finish line but when only half the people who do these races finish you've done pretty well as a non-athletic type to be able to do that Um, and I think it's very transferable to everybody how you can start and finish using running as that metaphor um, so I have seven seven principles. Um, the first is do it, and the whole idea, the whole idea being a being an athlete, I've stolen that one from Nike. Mm. But um, the whole idea of do it is, you know, we can spend an awful lot of time planning for something we don't really know much about, but we can only really know about doing it by cracking on and having a go. Love that one. So, so when you've done a half marathon, enter the Ultra Trail Tour de Mont Blanc is what I say. Um, the, the second is I say you become it and that is the promise of do it. Um, and I say you become what you do. So it's internal, external. Uh, my third I call is R and R and in my world that's reward and routine. There's not a lot of time for rest and relaxation. Um, and I, I love jelly babies. I made it part of my nutrition strategy when I ran Lands in Jolly Greats. So I ate one a mile. I ate 862 and I still like them, Steve. (laughs) 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 and um i i use sweets when when i'm running well i think you should reward yourself when you're running bad and you're still going you should reward yourself you should have them at specific times okay so markers Um, at at a landmark i've I've achieved this therefore it goes in now as opposed to whenever i'll fancy it absolutely um and and i found i found two things happened with training and and that was one i got better um, and two, the training becomes a reward in its own right. And provided you kickstart it to get going using that little that little sweet, mm. actually, in time, you don't need that. You just want to go and do it. Um, and you're looking forward for that next event. My, my fourth point is I call it you've got to endure the pain. And this is where this is where you write your plan. But this is created through doing it because running long distances steve is not particularly nice mm. you are going to bash up your feet you are going to walk like a duck for about a week afterwards because your legs will ache um but i say these are things you sign up to um the first time i entered the Trail tour de mont blanc and every race i've entered since i've had to sign a disclaimer yeah. and they almost all say the same thing but in effect they say you know you will not sue the organizers for serious injury or death yeah. and i think that's a bit crazy because i quite like living so so I made myself a deal and I call it my contract of resilience and that is if I'm going to what I signed up for those little irritating pains I've got to keep going if it becomes too painful I can stop I can use a break clause and come back another day because it's better to do that than not have the opportunity yeah um my fifth point is team and I talk about my team and how they help me um and that really flies in the face of that whole idea of the loneliness of the long distance runner um and i talk about team from supporters along the way to marshals to the people at nike and salomon who make my gear all the way down to human performance units uh dave and charlotte at sports med east and my parents but also how it grows when you've got a problem um and i talk about how i stumbled across erie and the podiatrists um but the hardest thing about teams and growing your team is asking for help because I find that we don't like doing it, do we? Because mm-hmm. it's in life, it's seen as a bit of a um, a bit of a stigma against asking for help. 
Mm. Uh, my my sixth point is I say um, there is that time to quit. And I take people back to that contract resilience. And I, I was running in Scotland a few years ago, Steve, and I tripped up and um, I got back onto my feet and my little finger was pointing in a really strange direction. And my ring finger was bleeding quite profusely. And I thought, well, if I can pull my little finger straight, there's no problem. So I pulled it straight and unfortunately nothing would happen. So I thought, well, I'm right handed. I've got two of my four fingers working on my right hand. Is this race really worth another 30 odd miles or should I get some medical attention? (laughs) And I I went for the latter. But I say the lovely Mm. thing about that contract resilience uh, is that you've planned in effect for the parameters of what could go wrong. What goes wrong, you never know. That happens on the day. But if you've said there are certain things that could be too painful, let's come back another day for them. The seventh part is I call it desire. And um, I say you need to find those goosebumps in whatever idea it is that you have to make it work. Um, But what I found really special about running Land's End on a Groats was Murray, the psychologist, told me, make sure you get everything work out what it's about get down what it's all about and i took it a step further than that i wrote myself my personal mission statements Mm. and it's short uh and in effect i'd say it's more like a mantra with meaning yeah um so when i thought about giving up twice once in shrewsbury and once in the borders Mm. i had something in my metaphoric back pocket that i could say over and over again okay and by doing it, I could reconnect with that desire to starting and finishing. That your, uh, your purpose beyond, be, that's bigger than you, bigger than, than why you're here. Well, it was, it, you could write it that way. Um, and I would encourage people to do that. Mm. But what I did is I, I wrote about the feelings I had when I came up with the idea. Right, okay. Um, and I thought, running Land's End, John O'Groats, the reason I'm doing it is because when I came up with the idea, it was exciting and interesting. Mm. Um, and when I said it enough times, I could take myself back to those feelings I had when I started. Mm. And it got me going again those two times I thought about quitting. Wow, I love that. So do it, become it, reward and routine, endure the pain, which includes contractor resilience, which I love, uh, team time to quit and desire that's um that's a lovely summary to kind of reconcile that that um that, that amazing event um so so not only have you gone through seven exams in th- three hours to do your law which is a which is an ultra event in itself uh mont blanc uh grand union canal lands in john O'Groats. what's next for you what's your new challenge I am starting a business and I pause because you often think that the next challenge should be a running challenge. Right. Um, but I'm starting a business called The Running Friend. Right. And the idea behind The Running Friend is I passionately believe if you can run three miles, you can run a marathon. Um, and the idea is that we are going to coach and online train people that if they can run their three miles, they can run a marathon within 16 weeks. Um, and the reason I say it's a challenge is I've heard some really great speakers talk about their businesses Mm. in a way that my running is just as much of a challenge. Okay. So I would be interested to uh, see in the next two to five years how that resilience transfers. The other little idea I've got, which I can't quite put to bed, which I should do, Steve, <laughs> is is there's a little idea about running um, across America. Um, but... Forrest Gump style. Forrest Gump, absolutely. Yeah. But... I've just got to work out how much I want to hurt myself to do it. (laughs) And I guess that's, I guess that's the bad thing about having some experience Yeah, yeah. that you begin to actually understand what's involved in doing it. I, um, that's what I was going to ask. The naivety is not there, is it? You can't write that exciting 
statement about uh, the, the mission statement because you know what you'd go through. <laughs> it's times it by four. I um I read um Michael Johnson's um um account of his two and four hundred meter at the Atlanta Olympics. Yeah. But he was saying it all went wrong for him in um, Barcelona. He got food poisoning. That's right, yeah. And um, he couldn't do it. And he made a decision after after Barcelona that he was going to do the tour two and 400 metres. And you will know so much more about this than me, Steve, but they are not completely complementary distances if you want to win a gold medal. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and he talks about having a conversation with his coach and his coach says, do you know what that means to commit to that? Mm. And he said, yes, I do. But in effect, he was signing himself up for the next four years yeah. to give it something that fundamentally he knew what it meant. But anyone else watching those two and 400 meters apart from elite sports scientists would have no idea what mm. was involved in that. Mm. And it's a similar situation with america is i now know what's involved do i really want to have the pain involved in doing it do i yeah. want 60 sleepless nights rather than just 15 and a half yeah. wow <laughs> well that sounds like an itch that that you could potentially ignore but also you could scratch and and i'm sure you'd um you'd do an amazing uh, incredible job at that so um it's been fascinating to talk to you, Tom, and um, and hear about the <clears throat> the origin of the idea, how you coped and how you managed and how you handled the adversity, but also the wonderful surprises of huma- humanity along the way. Um, <clears throat> and I love your seven principles that you've uh, you've shared with us. Um, and and I wish you all the best with with running friend. I hope that really um, that really works for you because that sounds like a, a wonderful venture to be able to help support people. To, to go on to achieve something that that might just be possible as you put it um to be able to support them along the way and stretch them and, and use your experience to to help others so that's wonderful thank you very much Steve. thank you for having me tom thank you so much pleasure to talk to you some fascinating insights there from tom really enjoyed that interview and if you want to hear more from him then you can follow him on twitter at tom boother his website is tombuther.co.uk. And if you want to follow anything that we're up to, you can follow us on Twitter at Ingham underscore Steve and at support underscore champs. Subscribe to these on iTunes, YouTube and supportingchampions.co.uk and check out the Facebook group site. 